This is Steve Kaplan, and you're watching the TV Writer Podcast. So I want to tell you a little bit about our main sponsor for the episode. Script Anatomy is a screenwriting school that gets incredible results. In just four years, their students have won 58 fellowships, half of them at major studios. In 2020 alone, Script Anatomy won four out of 11 fellowships at CBS and three out of eight at Warner Brothers. Why? Because the instructors are all working writers with current credits. They teach a consistent, tool-based program, and they treat students like emerging professionals. To get your writing career started, go to scriptanatomy.com. My name is Gray Jones, and you're watching the TV Writer Podcast, partner of Script Magazine, episode 129 for February 15th, 2022. Well, today I have the pleasure of being with a, an educator of comedy who has written not one, but two books on comedy. And that would be Steve Kaplan, who wrote The Hidden Tools of Comedy a few years ago, and then most recently came out with The Comic Hero's Journey. How are you doing, Steve? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Doing very, very well. And i got to say, um, I've read a number of books on comedy. And mine is the best? Is that is that what you're saying? Well, okay. You know you're I, you're I, too I, kind. You're too, yeah, too I kind. Wanna, I want to say that, that yours were very insightful. I, I thought that they they got to the heart of comedy more than other comedy books that, that I've read that were more sort of about telling the jokes. Yeah, how to, how to write jokes, how to, how to fashion jokes. There are a lot of great books like that. That's not what this book is about. It's not about stand-up. It's really about understanding what comedy is, how it works, why it works, what's happening when it's not working, very importantly, and what can you do to fix it. Exactly, exactly. And so we'll cover first the hidden tools of comedy, and okay. then the second part of the interview, we'll talk about your, your newer book. So Great. in the hidden tools of comedy, um, you really break down the core of comedy and why something is funny. I was immediately struck by the, the essence that you drew, that comedy is not just the jokes, but the art of telling the truth about people. Can you discuss that a little bit? Well, um, my definition of comedy is comedy tells the truth, and specifically it tells the truth about people. Because there's a difference, one of the first things I do in my workshops is we talk about the difference between funny and comic. Um, funny is whatever makes you laugh. If you're sitting there and, and you're laughing at it, to you it's funny, period, end of story. No matter what anybody says, somebody could say, that was a, that's not funny, what are you gonna supposed to do? You're supposed to go, you're right. I thought I was enjoying myself, but I was so wrong, no. Um, the, the point is, is that funny is subjective. Uh, this person might laugh at something, this other person might not. So if you chase funny, if you just chase the joke, by definition, you're only chasing a fraction of the audience. Mm. Whereas if you tell a human story about fallible, fallible human beings who are simply trying to solve oftentimes an unsolvable problem to overcome something that's that's impossible to overcome, which is at the essence of a lot of comedy, um, then everybody can relate because we're all we're all on the same boat. We're all uh, going to the same destination that we don't want to go to. We desperately try to do things to not go there, but we're going to end up there. Uh, we're all trying to solve an unsolvable problem, and yet we're going to wake up tomorrow and do the same thing and the same thing after that, and the same thing after that. And that's what makes us human. Mm. And that's why I think uh, that comedy tells the truth, more than drama. Um, because drama tells a, a portion of the truth. It tells a beautiful truth. Drama helps us dream about what we could be. Would that I were as brave as James Bond and as skillful as John Wick and and and, and can do things like uh, like the you know like Bruce Bruce Willis and Die Hard would that I would that I still had hair, um, but uh, so drama helps us dream about what we could be, but comedy helps us live with who we are. Mm. Comedy helps us live with who we are, and the I mean the important thing is that if if you're just trying to make somebody laugh then then that's a joke. And a joke can exist in the space of about 10 seconds. Mm -hmm. But most narrative comedy is either a half hour 
or 90 minutes or, or, or two hours if you're really, you know, pushing the envelope. And so you've got to fill that with something besides jokes. Mm. One, of the, one of the first things that Python discovered when they started making their, making their movies, the first movie they did was a compilation of their sketches called, um, uh, and now for something completely different, I think. And they had 90 minutes of sketches and they would do a preview of an audience for an audience. And the audience would laugh uproariously for 45 minutes and then stop and they couldn't get them back. So they went back into the editing room and they re-edited, they moved things around and they showed it to another preview audience, 45 minutes of hysterical laughter and then, then it just stopped. Because they realized that if there's not a story that you, with characters that you care about, mm. that you relate to, that eventually, it's just like, yeah, I thought that was funny. No, that's not funny. Yeah, that's funny. Um, and so that's why uh, they didn't make, uh, you know, and now for something completely different, some producer put those sketches together. So when they went out and had the opportunity to make their movie, they told stories. They told silly stories with ridiculous characters. But somehow, you cared about King Arthur for some stupid reason. You cared about those stupid knights who were being farted at by the French soldiers in the castle. You cared about Brian in the life of Brian because it's about telling a human story about fallible characters who are simply trying to get through their day as best as they can without, without many of the skills required to do so. Mm. Well, and that, and that leads into your comic equation. Um, comedy is about an ordinary guy or gal struggling against insurmountable odds without many of the skills and tools with which to win, but never giving up hope. Talk about that principle. Well, for one, it's really a paradigm. But, you know, that's a, that's a $5 word, so I just use comedy equation. Um, if you look at, if you look at uh, comic narrative, you've got... Uh, less than less than stellar people, mm -hmm. um, Billy Crystal or or Larry David or you know Danny DeVito, struggling against insurmountable odds. Whatever they need to do, it might be simple for James Bond, but for them it's not so simple. Melissa McCarthy and Spy. Yes, she's got skills, but also you know she doesn't look like your she doesn't look like Jude Law. She doesn't look like your normal spy. Uh, and they, have, they lack some, if not all, the essential skills. And from this equation, we draw usable practical tools. So when I first started teaching this, I was, I was actually running a, a theater company in New York called Manhattan Punchline. And I, I was fascinated because we would do plays and we, would ha we had stand-up uh, nights uh, where we uh, introduced Rita Rudner and Nathan Lane. We had a, an improv group that was headed by Michael Patrick King who went on to do a little thing called uh, Sex in the City. Uh, we did plays uh, like we had one of uh, David Crane's first play who went on to do a little thing called Friends. Uh, and I would be fascinated because there would be this play and I would be sitting, standing in the back of the theater because I was there all the time. It was a not-for-profit theater. I didn't realize I didn't need to take that literally. <laughs> uh, and the audience would laugh on a Thursday, but then on a Sunday, there'd be nothing. Dead silence, crickets. And the actors would come off stage and they would say, what a terrible audience. The problem with that was, is that I was in the audience. I wasn't terrible. I was prepared to enjoy it. I uh, might not have laughed knowing the jokes, but I was prepared to enjoy the experience and I could tell that something was different. And so I started exploring, first with actors, what's happening? Why is something funny on a Thursday no longer funny on a Sunday? And it had nothing to do with the audience. It had to do with the approach to the material, the approach to comedy. And so we started to come up with these uh, exercises and these 
techniques. Um, and out of that came a 40-week master class in, in approach to comedy, in which we uh, started to develop and refine and explore the tools that I have in the, in the first book, The Hidden Tools of Comedy. And I call them The Hidden Tools because it's not about joke writing. There are much better books about writing jokes. Um, Greg Dean, John Vorhaus, they've all written. Uh, there's a guy in, um, in Australia that's written a book called The Cheeky Monkey that is a bunch of great techniques to write jokes. Uh, Tim Ferguson, I think his name is. And, uh, and, but what we were trying to do is, what are the things that are not taught in conservatory or not caught, taught in universities that would make a difference? And so we came up with these tools that are based on that paradigm, based on that equation. Ordinary guy, uh, me, meaning a non-hero, not, not a comic hero, not an idiot, not, an, not, not a complete doofus, but somebody who simply lacks some, if not all, the essential skills and tools, uh, struggling against insurmountable odds. Um, and then we came up with the tool of winning. Mm -hmm. uh, I went to, uh, in acting, I went to college and I studied acting and they taught us that acting is about taking your, your script and breaking it up into action verbs. Mm -hmm. To do this, to do that. And I wasn't a very good actor. And I found out that these verbs were kind of putting a distance between me and what I really wanted. And it, it occurred to me that a lot of the great comics that I, uh, that I admired in film and television uh, had never, never studied with Uta Hagen uh, or, or went to the Yale School of Drama. And so, somehow they must have figured it out. And what they did was they had a simple desire. What won for them? What wins for them? Uh, a non-hero in metaphorical relationships, meaning that uh, comedy isn't based upon uh, what a funny character is doing, but based upon how that character sees the world, hmm. which means that you're not dealing with stereotypes, but you're dealing with archetypes. And then, then there's another tool of archetypes. Uh, so we had all these tools, and, and we, I started teaching courses, and... Uh, I was also directing at the time, and I started to realize that some of these tools could could help create a more comic moment in a scene. Um, and somebody in the uh, in the 1990s uh, said to me, "You should write this stuff down. You should write a book." And I took them up on it. I I followed them to a T. 25 years later. <laughs> only took me a, only took yeah. me about 20 years to write it yeah well um also talk about the so you've, you've got this or, ordinary guy or gal struggling against the odds um without With, the without giving up hope because yeah without giving up hope because that's the important thing that that uh if your character is aware of how doomed they are mm -hmm. um and is is in a position where they're they feel hopeless. Mm -hmm. Well, you've created a dramatic moment. And, and the, the, the important thing is that it's not like there are only comic characters in a comedy and serious characters in a drama. The thing that I think is great about comedy is that it envelops the entire human experience from the ridiculous to the tragic. Whereas in a lot of dramas, you don't, you don't have that same breadth of experience. Mm. So... Let's say you have uh, you're doing a romantic comedy. Well, um, in uh, in a romantic comedy, at first maybe your character's a jerk, like Bill Murray is in Groundhog Day, or maybe uh, she's a dweeb, like Sandra Bullock is in While You Were Sleeping. Well, at first they're kind of comic, but then at a certain point, usually two thirds or three quarters of the way through, they they experience real loss. Mm -hmm. and, and, and it seems like all hope is lost. And then your characters lose hope, which means that you've created the dramatic moment in your script. So you can increase and decrease the comedic and the dramatic values in a scene simply by giving your characters more skills or less skills. And the, mm. the, the basic skill for, for a character is knowing. 
Hmm. The more that your character knows, the less comic it is. I, it, that uh, makes me think of a movie, one, one of my favorite comedies, uh, not everybody's seen it, but um, The Man Who Knew Too Little with Bill Murray. And that's a perfect example of how his, the, the, the one skill he lacks is knowing that he's actually in a spy world. And, and that's where all the comedy comes from. And, and sometimes it's as simple as just not having your character be quick and witty and, and, and have a comeback for every line. There's a, there's a scene in, uh, there's something about Mary, mm -hmm. one of the uh, Farrelly brothers' farces, which I think is a, uh, has some very rude moments in it, but it's a, a pretty good film. It's on, it's on the AFI's list of, you know, 100 funniest movies. And there's a scene in which uh, Chris Elliott, uh, who's his idiot friend, is coaching Ben Stiller uh, on uh, what to do on a date. And basically, Ben's, uh, Chris Elliott's advice is you should relieve yourself the way men can relieve themselves. I guess also women too, but, but we're talking about men. Mm -hmm. uh, as a way of... Uh, as a way of making yourself calm for the day. And so he says, do you, do you, you know, uh, stroke the dolphin? Do you uh, choke the chicken? And rather than in a less skillful writer's hands, uh, a novice writer would have given Ben Stiller, the star, a funny comeback for each of those. Mm -hmm. But why, would, why should he know so much? Why should he be that quick? So what Ben Stiller says in the scene is, what? And at one point, Chris Elliott says, how do you feel after making love? And he says, I, 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 I feel tired. And, and Chris Elliott goes, no, no, you know, you don't have the baby butter on the brain anymore. Yeah. So, so it's, it's really a matter of knowing that your character doesn't need to be smarter than you. Mm. Your character doesn't need to be quicker or wittier than you. Um, and uh, if you... If you have a very witty character, make sure that he's the only one. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, if you have six Chandlers in a scene, it becomes very tiresome. Mm. But if you have one Chandler, and then you have one Joey, and one Ross, and one Monica, and, and one of the reasons that Friends is, uh, has been as successful is because those characters were as clear and iconic are typical as they were. Uh, and it's not just a matter of being able to anticipate them, but then when they surprise you, when Joey turns around and says something insightful, that makes it a big moment. They go, oh my God. Um, when, when Phoebe has a moment of real pain, you, oh, you know, so, so there's a lot... There's a lot you can do with archetypical characters, which mm. are not stereotypical characters. So from this equation, these tools came out. The tool of, uh, ac uh, of, of positive action, mm -hmm. meaning in a comedy, every action your character takes is designed to win. Otherwise, why would they bother doing it? Mm -hmm. Whereas one of the things that I noticed uh, actors doing uh, is actors who are not skilled clowns, skilled comedians, they protect themselves. Right. They, they'll say a line, but they'll make it logical, rational, appropriate. Mm. And maybe your character at this moment isn't logical, rational, and appropriate, because the truth is very few of us are logical, rational, and appropriate, because you know the truth about yourself. Mm -hmm. You know you're insane. I know I'm insane. I'm not going to tell you exactly in which ways, but just take it, take it for granted that I am, I'm as crazy as you are. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, when you're on a first date, you don't open the door and say, let me tell you everything about myself. On a first date, you want to put your best foot forward, and maybe then if they get to know you and like you and love you, maybe then you can let them know how you alphabetize all your records by genre and artist and whatever other crazy thing you do. Mm -hmm. so, it's like, uh, makes me think of Mr. Bean, how every single thing he does is him trying to solve a problem, 
It's just he lacks the information on how to solve. Right, it. and he or he makes he makes the wrong decision. So so, uh, oftentimes actors will will soften the the portrait they're drawing of their character because they're uncomfortable looking bad. Actors are trained to look good. They're trained to walk the right way. They're trained to talk the right way. But but to be a clown, to be a great comic, you know you have to know how to take the pie in the face and earn it and deserve it. So so positive action, um, the tool of a straight line, wavy line, mm -hmm. uh, which which is the idea that there is no such thing as a uh, funny man and a straight man. I mean, we we know what those terms are, mm -hmm. but really, what's happening is that there's somebody who is blind to a problem or creating the problem or both and somebody who's struggling with the problem but because they're a non-hero they can't solve the problem so take a look at at the classic duo um american comedy duo abbott and costello mm -hmm. and their their uh routine of who's on first so uh, Costello says, "Who's on first? And Bud Abbott goes, "Yes," and and it goes it goes back and forth like that because the guy's name is you know Sam Who or whatever. Uh, now you would say, "Well, Costello's the funny guy, and uh, Abbott's the straight man." But what about Jerry Seinfeld and, and Kramer? Well, Kramer's the funny guy and Jerry's the straight man. But if you look at it, the comedy is being created by the team of those two characters, one of whom is creating a problem or blind to a problem, and the other one is struggling with the problem and, and doesn't quite know how to fix it. Hmm. So, so you see a, a scene in which um, Kramer says, uh, can I borrow your, your bed? Uh, and, and Jerry goes, why? And Kramer says, I, I met some anarchists at a rock concert. They're huge, Jerry. And, and the brilliant thing that the writers on Seinfeld did was they didn't give Jerry Seinfeld a, a comeback. They just had him look at Kramer like, are you crazy? But without, because on the one hand, he's crazy, but on the other hand, you can't say it because he's your friend. But on the other hand, he's, he's effing nuts. So, so the idea of straight line, wavy line is the idea that it's not just the the comic, the funny person who's carrying the comedy, it's, it's both of them. It's, you can't have Mork without Mindy. Yeah. You need a human being in the equation who's going to clock uh, the, the, the reality while the crazy person is creating the unreality or, or, the, or the craziness or the chaos. Mm. I, uh, I heard... Sheldon Bull teach at a screenwriting conference, and his theory, at least as he taught it at that time, was that you should write a drama first and then add the jokes. Now, your theory is not like that at all. Well, it's actually similar, but I, I wouldn't say write the drama. What I would say is the first thing you want to do is tell the story. And I think in, in a comedy, especially a long form like a film, um, the, the final tool uh, is comic premise, hmm. which is something impossible or improbable that could never happen or probably could never happen. But since it did happen, what would happen then? So once you have a comic premise, uh, a guy wakes up, it's the same day over and over again. Um, uh, a boy wishes on a fortune telling machine and he wakes up and he's a 30 year old Tom Hanks. Um, a, a producer, uh, in order to fleece investors, wants to produce the worst play ever in the history of Broadway. Those, some are impossible, some are improbable. But once you establish that, then what happens? Based on character and theme. Mm -hmm. so, so first you come up with, well, you can either come up with characters first, you can come up with the situation first, you can come up with, with a... A, a scene that's a complication, but at some point, what's the lie? The lie that tells the truth, um, which is a tool as opposed to, you know, a log line. A log line is, is a sales tool. Mm 
What can I write down? What, how can I fashion this idea so somebody would want to invest in it or read it or buy it? But for me, comic premise is a tool. It's the thing that excites your imagination. And it, it, it's the thing that helps write the story for you as opposed to you're sitting there thinking, okay, now what, do, now what do I do? Now what do I have them do? So first you write the story. And if the premise is good enough and your characters are clear and identifiable enough and relatable enough and human enough, comedy will come. We, we do uh, a comic premise exercise in which I put groups of people together in the workshop. I used to do these workshops live, but then, have you heard that there's this pandemic that's been going on? <laughs> I, I don't know whether, whether you've, you've noticed it or not. Yeah. So now we do them on Zoom, but even, even on Zoom, we put groups of people together and they come up with a comic premise. Uh, and then we discuss it. And then one group came up with uh, this premise uh, a couple of years ago. A, a, a college football team discovers that the only time that they can win is when they get the nerd laid. College football team discovers that the only time that they can win is when they get the nerd laid. Now, that's not a great idea. I mean, <laughs> I, I wouldn't want to write that movie. I wouldn't want to yeah. watch that movie. If I was on a plane and that movie was on, I, I'd want to leave. But here's the thing about comic premise. You're already creating scenes in your head well, there's got to be the scene in which they're losing, and then there's the montage in which they're winning, which is interspersed with the nerd, you know, scoring with 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 girls. And then, well, I mean, then there's this, and I would I would ask the I would ask uh, when I use this as an example in a workshop, I'd say, what other scenes do you see? And they'll say, well, there's the scene in which the football team's helping the nerd um, get ready, and and the the fact is is that you can come up with about a third of the scenes that could be in this movie without, without breaking a sweat. Mm -hmm. The power of the premise is, the better the premise is for you, it's, it's subjective, the more, you, you, the more the movie occurs in your own imagination. Mm. I mean, you've, you've often read a log line for a film or a TV show and you went, oh my God, that's brilliant. I wish I had thought of that because it's so clear to you what should happen. And the other thing that's good about a premise is that it's not conclusion specific, meaning that if I'm in a room with 20 people and I give them a premise, I could get 20 different, 20 different narratives, 20 mm. different treatments, and each one of them might be uh, valid because it's not about, and this is where I, I disagree with some, uh, with some consultants and some uh, script writing teachers. Uh, unless you're writing a murder mystery or a spy drama, uh, I don't think it's important to know how it ends. I don't think it's important to know, okay, it goes here, goes here, and then it goes here, and it has to end there, because when you're living through the, the eyes of the character, creating the, the narrative, these characters are not figments of your imagination. They're even if they're anthropomorphic chickens in an animated film, they're people and they have their own wants and needs and desires. And if you play fair with them and allow them to do what they need to do in order to get what they want, things will occur. Things will happen with them that you don't have to impose or create. Uh, and the more that you, what did, what did Trey Stone say when they started uh, when they started writing um, South Park, uh, the first thing you discovered was therefore and but. This happens, therefore this has to happen. That happens, but then this happens. And the but isn't because of, well, let's come up with a clever thing to do, but, but the but always comes up with, the reversal comes up with there's another character in the, in the scenario who wants something else and creates a different vector mm. of action. So, so the, the idea of comic premise is the fact that you get to lie once, and then what would happen? And if you look at great comic films, there's only one lie. Mm. There's, no, there's one lie in Groundhog Day. 
there's one lie in uh, Purple Rose of Cairo. There's one lie in, uh, in Big. Now, other things happen, but characters are brought on through need and theme. Mm -hmm. so, so when you have uh, a scene in a restaurant with a boy and a girl, you're going to need a waiter or a waitress. But if you are working on a scenario in which there's a kid who made a wish on a fortune-telling machine and he wakes up and he's a 30-year-old man and now he's got to hang out for 30 days while he tries to find out where this fortune-telling machine carnival has gone to, where is he going to spend his time? He's going to spend his time in a toy store, F.A.O. Schwartz, which sadly is now closed. And he's going to meet some guy who's going to give him a job. That's going to bring us to act two. So who should he meet? Why couldn't he meet a guy who runs a gas station? And that would be act two. Why couldn't he meet a guy who works in a bank? That would be act two. Who does he meet? He meets a guy who runs a toy company. Because the theme of Big is arguably what is the connection, what's the nexus between adulthood and childhood? So one, when you know what your theme is, that can help you make character choices. Who else do I bring into the narrative? Well, if my theme is childhood and adulthood, well, a toy company, that's a, a, an organization run by adults for children. That would be perfect. As opposed to just making a random choice based upon, well, I can, I have eight billion people to choose from, I'll just choose that guy. So premise is the engine that shoots you into the narrative, but theme is the rudder. Hmm. Theme guides you and directs you. And when I, when I work uh, as a consultant um, for studios or for production companies or for individual writers, uh, the two questions that I ask more than any, uh, any other question is, what's it about? And I'm not talking about the premise or the plot. And um, what, what, when, what does this character want? And sometimes they'll say, well, he wants X. And so I'll say, well, why is he doing Y, Z, B, Z, A there? And they'll say, well, that's funny. Okay. But doesn't he want to do X? Why is he doing it? You know, so so it, it forces you to figure out what's the life of the character as opposed to what you want to do. Hmm. Um, and, and that's where the second book came from. Yeah. The second book came from the idea that uh, I talk about creating a premise and then developing the premise by bringing characters on through need and theme, not telling another... And only telling one lie, honoring the characters, uh, and by that I mean, if a even a if a character's on for one page, in that one page you gotta you gotta give the character their humanity. There's um, there's a, a movie called Head of State, in which Chris Rock is running for for a convoluted reason. He's he's uh, running for president. Um, and uh, there's uh, the evil head of the party doesn't want him to win. Uh, and there are two political handlers. And one, the woman is in on the evil scheme. And the, the guy, played by Dylan Baker, is not in on the evil scheme. And they're at this fundraiser. And Chris Rock is doing silly, stupid stuff. And he's, he's playing the DJ. And he says to this big group of, of rich, white rich old white people who are all for some reason, they know all these hip-hop dances now. And he says, throw your hands in the air, throw them like you just don't care, and I, if I got your vote for president, let me hear you say, oh yeah. And they all say, oh yeah, and then they're doing all these dances. And meanwhile, the camera is looking at these two political handlers who are looking in shock at the goings-on. And I'm watching this, and I'm thinking, okay, I can see why the woman isn't crazy about it, but why isn't the guy happy? He's just seen everybody go, oh yeah. Mm -hmm. he, you know, your, your candidate has figured out how to light a fire under voters. So, so wouldn't that be a good thing? And, and the reality is, is that's top-down writing. Meaning, 
you're 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 just moving characters around like uh, pieces on a chessboard, mm. and you're not giving them their humanity. Whereas if you look through their eyes and listen through their ears, you have a different experience, which is why I always encourage writers who have no interest in performing to take an improv class. Because that teaches you how to think like another character, how to listen, how to look at things from a different point of view, from the character's perspective, which I think great comedy comes from. Very cool. We're gonna take a brief, a brief sponsor break and we're gonna come back to talk about the comic hero's journey in depth. Okay. AVGearGuy.com uses state-of-the-art technology to bring new life to old films and videos, like the Lost Betty White series Pet Set, which they recently restored for its 50th anniversary. They can apply the same technology to your documentary, film and video archive, and family videos. Visit AVGearGuy.com for details. DrivingFootage.com provides 360-degree driving plates for film and TV. Over 14,000 clips are available for locations all around Southern California, with more areas coming soon. A fully equipped camera car with height-adjustable rig is available for custom shoots. Visit drivingfootage.com for details. Full disclosure, I do own both of these companies. By supporting them, you help me bring new in-person video interviews to you. And we're back. And so, um, Hidden Tools of Comedy came out in 2013-ish, and Comic Hero's Journey... Five years later. So, obviously, Comic Hero's Journey, you're, you, um, right at the beginning of the book, you, you um, gave an homage, homage, I don't know how you pronounce that in the States, but um, to Joseph Campbell's The Hero with a Thousand Faces, Chris Vogler's The Writer's Journey, um, and in it, you've translated The Hero's Journey for comedy. Um, tell me about that process, how you studied it, how you adapted it, to um, the comedy world? Well, I mean, the hero's journey has been around for thousands of years uh, before Campbell wrote about it and, and, and before Chris, um, who's a friend of mine, wrote about it. So uh, because Chris is a friend of mine, I, I called him up and I said, Chris, I'm going to steal your title. Uh, I, hope, I hope you're either, you either don't mind or you're, you're flattered. Um, but th the thing is, is that that hero's journey works a lot for both comic and dramatic narratives. But in a comedy, there are there are certain areas that are very, very different. Let me talk about, uh, so everybody knows the hero's journey. Yeah. Okay? Uh, if you've seen Star Wars, you know the hero's journey, right? Uh, Luke Skywalker uh, uh, is uh, on the Tatooine, uh, and he wants to become a, a pilot, and he wants to join the Rebellion. And he has greatness, but he's not aware of it. But he has greatness within. And he's going to uh, meet uh, his Obi-Wan. He meets the mentor. The mentor says, you should fly away to join the rebellion. He refuses the call. Uh, but then his aunt and uncle are killed by the Empire. And so he crosses the threshold. He goes to Mos Eisley. Allies and enemies. He meets Han Solo and Chewbacca. He gets on the Millennium Falcon. Uh, they go to the Death Star. Uh, there's the ordeal um, uh, in which he almost is killed in a trash compactor, which I always thought was kind of a weird way to kill your hero. hero. But they get out, and then he goes back, and he returns. He kills. He destroys the Death Star, and he returns uh, to this big uh, event. This big. Uh, parade for them uh, with the elixir, which is basically the hero's journey. So, so what's different in, in, a, in the comic hero's journey? In the comic hero's journey, in the normal world, we have the normal world, WTF, what the, what the F, uh, reactions, connections, uh, new directions, uh, disconnections, and run, run to the end. Um, and in the normal world, your hero is as far from having greatness within as humanly possible. Mm -hmm. Your hero is a dweeb or a dork or a jerk. Your hero is not aware of how dire their situation is. Mm. That's another big difference in, uh, in, in a drama and a comedy. In a drama, your hero has this sense that things aren't right, and they're ups you know, they're either depressed or they're anxious about it. In in many comedies, your hero has no idea 
that things are not going well. In fact, it's important that your hero is oblivious to it, that your hero thinks everything's fine. We in the audience know, poor Steve Carell, he's 40 years old. You know, he's going to have to get on that. Yeah. Um, we in the audience go, Bill Murray, he's funny, but what a jerk. But to them, their lives are working great. Mm-hmm. And their lives would continue to work the way they're working, great for them, not so great for us in the audience, except for this one impossible or improbable event that changes everything. So in your normal world, your hero has to be uh, oblivious, not knowing what their real situation is, so that when things turn upside down, they're desperate to return to that normal world. Hmm. Um, Dorothy uh, doesn't go, hey, Oz, everything's in color. Let's let's be here. She immediately says, I need to get back. Um, uh, Bill Murray in Groundhog Day, he immediately goes, or not immediately, because at first he de- he's in denial, but eventually he goes, I- I- how do I get out of this? So, so you're comic hero in the normal world usually uh, has uh, no insight into what their own situation is. In fact, to them, they're, they're doing well. They're happy and, and just leave them alone. Uh, also, most characters in the normal world uh, have either dysfunctional or no uh, positive relationships. Uh, if they're married, their marriage is kind of shaky, uh, like uh, Steve Carell and Tina Fey in um, in Date Night, uh, or or else they're uh, they don't have um, a a good relationship. Um, they're in the normal world. Everything that you want to have happen later in the narrative has to be there in the normal world. Um, the director of the French director of the artist one said that you could have a Tyrannosaurus Rex come in on roller skates in your narrative, in your screenplay, if you do it within the first seven pages. Ah. If you set it up in the first seven pages, anything you want to happen can happen. But after that, you have to play fair. Mm. So, so you have the sense that your, your protagonist, your comic protagonist is unaware of what they need uh, and what they want, and therefore you have you have your initial goal, and then you have your discovered goal. And your initial goal is always selfish and/or short-sighted. What does Bill Murray want in Groundhog Day? He's a weatherman at a, sta- a television station in Pittsburgh. He just wants to go to a bigger station. Hmm. That's all he wants. Uh, what does Steve Carell want in Forty Year Old Virgin? All he wants is to be left alone, mm-hmm. to play with his toys. He's not, he's not going to uh, that Best Tech or whatever the name of the company is and going, why can't I get a girl? No, he's, he's happy. Uh, Seth Rogen asks him what he did over the weekend, and he says, well, I, I made an omelet for myself, and I, went, I, I painted this guy's pants blue, and you know, Seth Rogen's going to blow his brains out. In Bridesmaids, Kristen Wiig only wants to sleep over with John Hamm. That's all. If she could just do that, she'd be happy. She'd want him to say, I'm your boyfriend, because she's unaware that he's a jerk and she's got to dump him. Even after he kicks her out of bed and and she has to climb over the gate to get out. Um, So your protagonists are unaware and they have uh, short-sighted, initial goals. Then you have this impossible or improbable event happens. And it doesn't have to be a fantasy. It doesn't have to be um, uh, something where somebody's uh, changes, uh, you know, switches brains with somebody else, although that's all, that always works. Yeah. It, it's, worked for, it's worked several times, and it, it worked last in, in Freaky. Yeah. A very funny uh, horror horror comedy movie horror. Um, in in the movie Enough Said with 
uh, Julie Louis-Dreyfus and the late, great James Gandolfini. The, the WTF is simply that uh, uh, Louis-Dreyfus meets, is a, is a massage therapist, and she meets this guy at a party, and she kind of hits it off with him. At the same time, she gets a new client who becomes her best friend. And what she found out, what she, what she finds out very shortly is that her new beau is the ex-husband of her best friend. And the best friend just talks incessantly about how terrible this guy was, which starts to affect her relationship with him. And she doesn't tell either of them about it. Is that impossible? No. But it's improbable. Mm -hmm. so, so you have a, a situation and then you have... Uh, reaction. Now, normally in your reaction, your your characters go through uh, a short period of denial. This isn't happening. And then when they eventually accept the situation, what happens to your characters is they have to transform. Transformation is happening to them not because they want to transform, because, but because they have to transform. Mm -hmm. They have to transform because of because of they have to deal with this new situation, and that leads us into connections in which your characters, and this is very important for a comedy, your characters have to slow down. And whereas most of our comic protagonists in the beginning are fairly isolated, mm -hmm. they have no idea what's going on. They they don't really have a great idea of of how their what their life is like, um, and then as they go into connections, they start to make connections. They start to gather, very much like the hero's journey, but in, in a comic way, they start to gather uh, allies and enemies. And and the great thing about uh, about comedy is that in a comedy, your enemy can become your ally. Mm -hmm. I mean, Darth Vader's never going to become Luke Skywalker and Han Solo's ally. But in Bridesmaids, that uppity uh, of Bridesmaids who's, who's vying with Kristen Wiig for, uh, for the, to be the, the bridesmaid, the, you know, the maid of honor uh, for her friend, eventually turns out to become an ally, to become a friend. Um, and that, happened, that happens a lot, even in, in Groundhog Day. Um, you have the uh, obnoxious insurance salesman, and he turns out to sell them. He turns out to be a guy that that Bill Murray gives a lot of business to because he can. Because as far as Bill Murray knows, he's never going to wake up to the next day. And so, sure, buy all this insurance. What does it mean? Mm -hmm. Because the the important thing in in connections is that your characters are beginning to reveal themselves both to somebody else and to themselves. And they start to get uh, an awareness of who they are. And this happens even in sitcoms. It might not happen in the first episode, but in the epi you know, if you think about a, a favorite sitcom, you're gonna think about an episode that maybe not is the funniest, but is an episode in which those characters revealed themselves in a slightly different way, mm. in a more, in a fuller way. Uh, I'm thinking of, uh, this is, this shows you how old I am. Uh, in, uh, there's an episode of All in the Family mm -hmm. in which uh, Mike and, and Archie, who are always at loggerheads because of their political differences, they got locked in a meat locker. And they have to stay there all night because uh, no one can open it up until the next day. And so Archie starts to share stories about how he was kind of abused as a kid and picked on and and he 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 didn't have uh, shoes and one time he had to wear a shoot a shoe and a boot and they called him shabuti and it not only made a difference with his son-in-law mike but it made a difference with us that yeah even even in the in the most bigoted guy maybe there's just a human being mm -hmm. who um you know who who needs who needs some love? Uh, I mean, most protagonists, um, most comics are are products of um, uh, some dysfunction. 
uh, that we're trying to work through. Ray Romano once said that if I had been hugged once as a as a kid, I, I'd be I'd be an accountant. Um, so so you have uh, you have connections, and and one of the things I, uh, I think is important in this in this part of the movie is that the characters stop dissembling. I think the worst comedies are the comedies in which people just sh won't s shut up and won't stop pretending and lying. It's exhausting mm -hmm. because the best comedies allow the characters to just tell the truth at a certain point. Yeah. Um, Bill Murray, in, in, in the very, in, near the beginning uh, of, of, you know, maybe the end of Act One, the beginning of Act Two, he just comes right out and says it. He says, uh, I'm living the same, he says to Andy McDowell, who's the producer, I'm living the same day over and over again. Today, Groundhog Day. And, you know, some, some writers might think, well, that's the, the, yeah, the movie's over. But no, because the other character, what would the other character say? The other character would say, okay, that makes sense. No, the other character says, what's the joker? I don't know what's wrong with you. Maybe you need help. And he says, that's right, I need help. And to me, where I agree with Sheldon Bull is that if you're desperate for jokes, when Rita in Groundhog Day, Groundhog Day says, you need help, some writer's going to think, well, now that's a setup. So I've got to write a funny joke. No. What would the human being say? And Bill Murray says, that's what I've been saying. I need help. Of course, the next scene is with a doctor who has, you know, his x-rays of a brain who then sends him to a psychiatrist who says, why don't you come back tomorrow? <laughs> uh, because yeah. it's an impossible situation. Yeah. And since it's impossible, it creates the comedy by itself. You don't have to worry about. So in, in, in a romantic comedy, this is often the midpoint, which is often the connection point in more than one way. Um, yeah, I mean, Michael Haig calls it the getting naked moment. But even Michael know, you know, talks about the fact that he's not talking about them having sex. He's talking about when they're open with each other. In Hitch, uh, it's the moment in which he shares the story of how he was a, a dweeb in college and, and never had a girlfriend. It's the moment in Tropic Thunder where, for the first time, Ben Stiller and... Uh, Robert Downey Jr. Uh, are are talking and and I mean Robert Downey Jr. is still kind of needling Ben Stiller and Ben Stiller is being not that bright is not getting it but still it's the first time that they're sharing some information they're talking to each other as opposed to trying to upstage each other in the scenes and it it's where it's where Robert Downey Jr. Uh, you know says well that's why you didn't win an Oscar for Simple Jack. Because you went full, I'm not going to say the word because it's it's very pejorative. Um, full tard. You can't go, you know. And and even though it's 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 in, you know kind of an insulting joke, um, but it it's a moment where he's actually told the guy the truth, and it's when you share truth. There's a there's a great moment in Forty uh, Year Old Virgin when uh, uh, Catherine Keener's daughter. Uh, wants to get birth control because she wants to have sex with her boyfriend. And Steve Carell volunteers to take her to the clinic. Not because he's a great guy. Characters in comedies don't do things because they're great guys. We do things, everybody in the world does things for selfish reasons. Hmm. Now, the outcome, the result might be nice, but let's be honest. We're all selfish to a certain extent, and we do things for selfish reasons. My father used to say, Mother Teresa is selfish. She wants to do that. <laughs> Maybe that says more about my father than Mother Teresa, but still. But he takes her to the clinic to get some information because he knows nothing about this. But on the way back, on the on the drive back, uh, uh, she turns to him and, and says, "You're a virgin, aren't you?" And what I love about the film. Is not is is he didn't go? No, no, no. Of course, I've had lots of. No, he just says, "How'd you know?" Hmm. And she says, "Well, I'm. I go to high school with about uh, 1,200 other 
horny guy, so I, I can tell. And he says, you're not going to tell your mom, are you? She says, no, but when are you? He says, I'm working on it. It's such a beautiful scene. And to me, that's what great comedy is about. Great comedy isn't always about um, the dick joke, uh, the, the grossest thing you can think of. Comedy is just about human beings without many of the required skills and tools in order to win, just trying their best with hope. Hmm. Um, uh, just to try to get through the day as human beings. So then you have connection, then you have new directions. And new directions is usually when you have the discovered goal. The, the discovered goal is again different from the hero's journey. Because in the hero's journey, what does Luke want? He wants to be a pilot, he wants to join the rebellion. What does he get? He gets to be a pilot, he gets to join the rebellion. From the get-go, and, and, and many screenwriting books say, what's the, what's the goal of the protagonist? That's what he's going for the whole time. But in a comedy, in a comedy your characters, your protagonists are jerks. Mm -hmm. You don't want them to go for the same goal that they were going in the beginning. You, you're, you're rooting for them to change. You want them to change. Comedy is transformational. And so your, your character wants something else because they become a different person. They want something else. Uh, Bill Murray no longer wants to just work as a weatherman for a bigger station. He wants to figure out a way, how can I get the love of the woman who I've fallen in love with? That's his goal. Mm -hmm. um, and and in, in, in many comedy, you know, Steve Carell, his goal is how can I form a, a, a relationship with, with, a, with an adult woman that's what he wants. He doesn't know how to do it. And then in disconnections, things fall apart. Uh, uh, Michael Haig talks about uh, uh, identity and essence. Um, uh, I think the, the, the term that I use in, uh, in the book is mask and mensch. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, uh, the mask is the, is the mask we put on, even to ourselves, in the beginning of the narrative. And when we take the mask off, we're a mensch. And mensch is a Yiddish word that means mensch. It means a nice person. It means yeah. a good, it means a, a man, a good yeah. person. Um, so, so in 40-Year-Old Virgin, there's the scene in which it's been 20 dates. And there's been this great device in which they've, de they've decided, uh, Catherine Keener and Steve Carell have decided... They're going to wait 20 dates uh, before they try to have sex. And, you know, for Catherine Keener, that's, you know, going slow. I've made mistakes before. And Steve Carell's point of view, this is great. You know, <laughs> make it 30 dates. Yeah. But it's 20 dates, and they're wrapping all his toys that they're going to sell on eBay in order to uh, finance his, his own store. And she, she kind of says, it's 20 dates. Let's go for it. And he says, at first, fine, but then they're rolling over on the toy. And, and, and she says, and he says, no, you're going to break the packaging. And, and they, have this, they have this fight. And it's not really a fight in which they're ang they angry with each other. They're both trying to protect the possibility of a happy ending. Mm. Positive action is protecting the possibility of a happy ending. But what happens is, is that they, they in, in trying to protect that possibility, they anger and insult each other. Um, she says, uh, you know, I want you to grow up. And he says, oh, thanks, thanks. Uh, she, he says, why don't you want to go to bed with me? Is it because I'm a grandmother? He says, no, you're a hot grandmother, and, <laughs> which is not the thing. <laughs> Along with, you, no, you do look fat in those pants. Those are things you yeah. should not tell your significant other. Um, even if they do. Yeah. Uh, so, so you have a disconnection. And in disconnections, you put the mask back on. He says, you're trying to make me change. Uh, and, and, and he doesn't want to change because he's afraid of change. Mm -hmm. And so in disconnections, relationships break apart. Um, and, uh, and even in something not, which is not a romantic comedy like 
like Tropic Thunder, the, the platoon literally breaks apart. They all go one way, and because Ben Stiller's an idiot, he goes another way and gets captured by uh, drug lords. Um, and so what happens in the race, race to the finish is that there needs to be a reinvitation. Mm -hmm. In WTF, there's an invitation. Somebody needs to take you out of your normal world and say, come over here. And when you go over there, you're going to meet somebody new or do something new and something new will occur. So in, in the invitation in Groundhog Day is he's going to go to Punxsutawney. Um, the invitation in, um, uh, in 40 year old virgin is come to the poker game. Does he ever, has he ever played in this poker game before? No, they don't want to play with him. He's, he's a desperate choice in order to have enough players. Uh, but, but, the, but they get invited to this place or this opportunity for something weird, impossible or improbable to happen. In Race to the Finish, there needs to be a re-invitation because your protagonist has basically broken up, broken off, is, is, is hopeless. Usually another character or other characters need to intervene mm -hmm. in order to bring them back to a place where they can then pursue to the end their desire. Mm. In Bridesmaids, it's Melissa McCarthy. Um, Kristen Wiig has been kicked out of the wedding and she's feeling very low and she's, she's, all, she's isolated again. And Kristen Wiig comes over and literally punches her. You're going to fight back? This is life. This is life happening to you. And, and eventually um, she, bites her on the, she bites her on the butt. And eventually uh, uh, Kristen Wiig hits her and she says, nice hit. Nice hit. Because uh, she's saying, I'm, I'm a friend. I'm right here in front of you. And, and so oftentimes there's this re-invitation to get, come back into the hunt. And then Race to the Finish is, I mean, in many comedies... A literal race. A literal Billy Crystal running through the streets of Manhattan, um, Dustin Hoffman racing to the wedding. But, but what's necessary is for your protagonist to be active. Uh, in a lot of scripts I read, you have a, there's a passive, antag a passive protagonist in which something occurs, happens to the protagonist that, that helps them uh, resolve resolve the um, the story, but you need to the protagonist needs to take action, even if it's not literally racing through the streets. In enough said that movie with Julia Louis Dreyfus, all she does, having been broken up, having James Gandolfini broke up with her because she was lied to him, lied to him about you know her relationship with his ex-wife. You know, uh, was, she was bothering him about his weight all the time. All she does is she drives by his house, parks for a bit, and then drives on. And one day she drives by his house, parks, and he comes out on the stoop and he sits there and he looks at her. And he says, come on over. So all, your, your protagonist needs to be active needs to take some action in order to resolve their, uh, uh, their situation. But the most important resolution in the narrative has to be a thematic resolution. Mm -hmm. Whether your protagonist wins or loses, well, if they, if they win, it's a Hollywood movie. If they lose, it's an indie movie. Uh, hope, you know, good luck for, you know, at, uh, uh, you know in all the contests. Um, uh, maybe you can get, maybe you can go to slam dance. Maybe it's, maybe, you know, listen, Netflix, they're buying everything. Yeah. Um, but whether, whether your protagonist wins or loses, whether they get the girl or the guy or not, what's most important is the resolution of the theme. The theme is a question. You're asking a question at the beginning of the story. What's the nature of this? You know, what, what, what about that? Ask a question as opposed to give me an answer. Uh, don't have a theme in which you say love conquers all. Hey, that was good enough for Shakespeare. No, Shakespeare's theme wasn't love conquers all because they both died at the end, don't they? 
at least they did when I saw West Side Story. No, the theme is, what's the nature of love? And in Romeo and Juliet, there's all sorts of variations of the exploration of the nature of love. There's the love of Romeo for Juliet, but there's the love of Romeo for Rosalind, who was the girl he loved in the beginning of the play, who had dumped him, and that's why he was so emo and depressed, and that's why his friends took him to the party where he met Juliet. So there's all these various versions of love. So, so you've asked a thematic question in the beginning, and hopefully that question has informed your writing, and at the end you need to resolve it. What's, what's the, uh, you know, how can you be a good person in the world is the question that Groundhog Day asks. And the answer is by, be, by doing for other people. Hmm. You know, just by being of service to other people. And, and that's his embrace of that Buddhist thought, because I guess Danny Rubin is a Buddhist, um, uh, releases him from the cosmic time warp. Mm -hmm. Very, very cool. Um, well, I think that's a great place to end. Um, just like with your first book, um, we've obviously just scratched the surface of, of no, everything No, you mean in there. we haven't solved it all in, in 90 minutes? Uh, <laughs> I thought we um, covered everything. Uh, well, we, we, uh, we covered the broad strokes. Okay. And, and I would encourage everybody that these are both books that I think really complement each other. Um, Hidden Tools of Comedy and The Comic Hero's Journey. Um, I think that you would do well to buy both of them if you haven't already. And if you have the first one, make sure you buy the second one. And as Steve told me in And then email, buy the first one again. <laughs> because, you know. To share with a friend. Um, as Steve told me in, in an email, you definitely want to read The Hidden Tools of Comedy first. Because it lays the foundation. And then The Comic Hero's Journey lays out the steps as you build your story. Um, but Steve, uh, really grateful for you being here today. Um, hi, on Twitter, you're... I'm I'm at SK Comedy. SK Comedy on Twitter on on uh, Facebook. You can go to Kaplan Comedy, and our website is www.kaplancomedy.com. We're having a workshop based on the hidden tools uh, in March. Mm -hmm. It's for it's a it's a Zoom workshop, uh, four sessions, and if you miss one, we're we're recording them all, so you'll be able to stream it at your pleasure. In your in your bathrobe, um, and um, and we're also available for consultations uh, on pilots, on screenplays, um, bar mitzvahs, whatever. Yeah, and we didn't actually get into your bio, um, but you've done consulting all over the place, and you've done a ton of teaching. So definitely look up Steve's courses, follow Steve on Twitter, and. Uh, um, I appreciate you really breaking down these tools to help people to build better stories. Thanks. Yeah. I, I had a I had a fun time, even though it's freezing here yeah, in Santa Clarita. Is. Yeah, I appreciate you taking the time. Thanks, Steve. <laughs> Please follow me on Twitter for the latest updates. At Gray Jones is my handle. Make sure to bookmark TVWriterPodcast.com and ScriptMag.com. You can find the video version of this podcast at iTunes, Podbean. And on YouTube, make sure you do subscribe to all these places. Audio only, you can find us at iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, or Pandora. And on Instagram, you can follow at TV Writer Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Bye-bye.